Let's open the inspired and preserved words of God in our King James Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Some of you have told me it's one of your favorite chapters in the Bible. We'll look at verse 1 and try to make it to verse 14. We'll see if we're able to make it that far. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. Teach us that obeying and living by the Spirit is proof and assurance of salvation and eternal life. Amen. Obeying the law of God and living by the Spirit, walking after the Spirit rather than the flesh, is the assurance of our salvation. But we want to consider the condemnation that we were saved from first. And that's right there in the beginning of chapter 8 in the first verse. You will find that the order of the Spirit of God in writing these words here is very similar to Psalm 32. We will have a foundation laid for us of the legal price that Jesus paid on the cross. But that should lead to a Spirit-led life that we live every day. The 14th verse is going to say, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The issue here is the proof of eternal life and salvation. The issue here is our practical sanctification and obedience for what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. We are going to reach a verse where it says, For ye are debtors. We owe... Because so much has been paid for us. When will we return the payment? Return the blessing and the favor by living for Him. The first 14 verses teach us that obeying and living by the Spirit of God is the evidence of eternal life. Verses 15 through 27 describe the Holy Spirit as the earnest that is given, given to us of a great change that is coming in the universe. When everything will be restored and delivered from sin, including the natural creation. Everything in the natural creation is under the burden and bondage of sin. And it's all going to be delivered into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. And we will be made manifest to the entire universe. That's through verse 27. And that earnest of the Spirit prays for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And God, who knoweth the mind of the Spirit knows what the Spirit prays for us, and He prays according to the will of God for us. What a great earnest has been given to us of our final salvation in heaven. And then verses 28 through 39 describe the purpose of God in saving us from before the world began by His predestinating purpose as it's described in verses 28 through 30. And if God predestinated His Son to come and die for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Amen. Some of you young people in our church have been learning Romans chapter 8 because that was a chapter for quizzing last Saturday. I'm thankful that you're learning the words of this chapter. I hope that you'll learn the sense of it. Amen. Believe it and flee to Jesus Christ for the refuge that is in him. Right. Let me read to you these 14 verses in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, 
For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Amen. The lesson is of practical importance that our obedience and our righteousness in denying our flesh and living according to the Spirit of God is the evidence of eternal life. Paul has laid the foundation of all that Jesus did for us in the legal phase as we worked all the way through to chapter 8. But now there is a consequence expected of us. There is a result that comes from that purchase price, and that is to walk after the Spirit. There is, therefore now, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Therefore is always drawing a conclusion. And so we have a conclusion here in chapter 8, verse 1. And we want to look at that conclusion. We are under condemnation. Understand my language. Everyone in this room is condemned and damned and doomed without the Lord Jesus Christ. The sentence of death is upon us. We are dying every day in these bodies. And after death, the Bible tells us the judgment. We are condemned. Let's look at that condemnation. There is a therefore in this verse for a good reason. Because in everything that Paul has written so far, we are condemned. Look at chapter 1. Quickly go through with me and see the condemnation that we are under. Romans chapter 1. This is the gospel of God. But to understand the gospel of God, you first need to understand the condemnation that we are under because of sin. Then you can appreciate the Savior who delivers us from our sin. Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, we have these words. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And we cannot preach the first seven chapters of Romans to help you understand the first 14 verses of chapter 8. What we have in Romans chapter 1 is that the light of nature, the truth revealed by God's creation, is enough to make all men without excuse. It says that in verse 20. It says the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly, clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. From 18 to the end of chapter 1, it tells us we are condemned by what God has revealed through his natural creation. It says in verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. All men know that there are sins that God will judge by the natural creation. When Paul was on the island of Melita, 
And a viper came out of the fire and latched onto his hand, and the inhabit the barbarian inhabitants of that island knew that it was a poisonous viper. What did they reason? That this man was a murderer and he had to die. They didn't know the God of heaven the way we know him, but they had instilled in them that murder was a crime against God and deserved punishment. And they were barbarians on the island of Melita. And the nations of the earth have had laws against the things that are listed there in Romans chapter 1. It's when God turns a nation over that they lose that consciousness. Because He blinds and hardens their hearts, as it says in verse 21. Okay, we're condemned by chapter 1. We're condemned by what God has revealed in the heavens, because that has not been enough to drive man in general to repentance. We rebel instead. Chapter 2. The light of conscience condemns men. It says in Romans chapter 2, verse 12, For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Verse 14. I'm skipping because I just want to grab what these chapters have already taught before we get to chapter 8. For when the Gentiles, which by have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law, written in their hearts, their conscience, also bearing witness. The light of conscience teaches men what is right and what is wrong. So by chapter 2 we're condemned. Amen. Then we come to chapter 3. And we could read verses 9 through 19, where it describes us in all of our glory. Verse 9 says, what then? Are we better than they? Speaking of the Jews. No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. When did we prove that? In chapter 1 and in chapter 2. Then it goes on to say, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. This is a description of you and me. This is describing you and me, our parents and our children. This is describing the human race. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. And it goes on to describe their particular bodily members and how they're used for sin. And it comes down to verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we're condemned by chapters 1, 2, 3. We come over to chapter 5. And it said... It, 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 it says to us today, in verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. This passage right here in Romans chapter 5 is what is often called original sin. But what the lesson is, for the 2,500 years from Adam to Moses, before there were Ten Commandments, do you remember who got the Ten Commandments and brought them down from Mount Sinai? It was Moses. For 2,500 years, men died just as quickly before the Ten Commandments came because of our first father, Adam. Adam stood as our representative in the Garden of Eden, and by his sin, he condemned us. So that it says... For instance, in verse 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. We're all condemned by Adam. Now think with me. The law has concluded all men under sin by verse chapter 3. The, crea- the natural creation has condemned all men by chapter 1. Conscience condemns all men by chapter 2. Adam condemns all men by chapter 5. We get to chapter 6. We were slaves to sin. We were free from righteousness by our character and our conduct. And so it says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, For the wages of sin is death. We have all earned those wages. We have worked hard every day of our lives to earn those wages. So we're condemned by chapter 6. The Apostle Paul looks closely at the law of Moses in chapter 7. And notice what he says about that when he gets to the end of it in verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? 
he is condemned by chapter 7 and the law of God. If you study Romans 1 through 7, we are condemned by creation. We are condemned by conscience. We are condemned by the law. We are condemned by our practice, our conduct, our character, and the law again, leaving us hopeless. Hopelessly condemned. And if you don't believe this, then visit a hospital. Visit a nursing home. Visit a morgue. All of you children, you're going to bury your parents and grandparents. You may bury some friends and closer ones. Because we are under the sentence of death. But the verse says, there is therefore now no condemnation. That condemnation has been lifted by the Lord Jesus Christ. The condemnation of creation. The condemnation of conscience. The condemnation of God's law. The condemnation of Adam. Because we have a second Adam. Praise the Lord in Romans chapter 5. We have been delivered from condemnation. This is the gospel. Every man that still has a couple wires in a wire nut, by the grace of God, knows that we are dying. And there is a God in heaven that is angry with the wicked every day, the Bible tells us. We cannot appreciate Romans chapter 8 and its first few words unless we understand condemnation. When you stand before God, the God of heaven, the great and dreadful God of the Bible, can ask you, when you saw the glory of my creation and my firmament, and you heard the message preached by the sun coming up every day, and the sun and the moon and the stars... Why didn't you humble yourself and repent and flee to me? And you'll say, I was too wrapped up in my stupid little job and my stupid little hobbies and my stupid little love life to think about you, great God. I'll I'll help you. You ain't going to say nothing. When you stand before God, every word that you've ever thought that you could get out of your lips isn't going to come out. Heaven and earth are going to flee away from the face of him that sits on that throne of judgment. He's going to say in chapter 2, I gave you a candle inside you to tell you certain things. You didn't even have to read a book. You knew they were wrong. And when I condemned you by your conscience, you still went ahead and did it. He's going to tell us, I gave you my word. You heard it preached. You didn't obey it. I set up a perfect man for you in a perfect world with a perfect wife with only one little commandment to keep in the Garden of Eden and you sinned in Adam. I gave you a law and that law was holy and just and good. And all it did when you found it was to make you exceedingly sinful. You will have nothing to say. This is your future. Without Jesus Christ, everyone in here, and I as well, are condemned, damned, and doomed. Did you like the last verse of And Can It Be? No condemnation. Amen. No condemnation. Here's what it says. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. God in His grace, for the display of His glorious grace and mercy, saved men out of condemnation they deserved. This is the simple message of the gospel. That message is described in chapter 1 when Paul said, As much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He wanted to get to Rome to find those believers there whose faith was spoken of throughout the whole world and preach the good news to them. So that together they could be mutually encouraged in the wonderful things God has done for them. He didn't say, I can't wait to get to Rome for you people to take me to the mall. He said, I can't wait to get to Rome to preach to you the glorious gospel, which is received by believers as the power of God unto salvation. Because it delivers us from that condemnation. In chapter 2, it tells us, That God does a work inside men in verses 28 and 29 that we call regeneration. He circumcises our heart. 
He changes our spirit, and the praise is not of men. It's of God, because God does it. This is circumcision of the heart. This is not Jewish circumcision of the flesh. This is a change God makes in verses 28 and 29 of chapter 2. We come to chapter 3, and it says, After condemning us as falling short of the glory of God, it says in verse 24 of chapter 3, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. So chapter 3 we have condemnation lifted. It's lifted in the gospel in chapter 1. It's lifted by the circumcision of our hearts in chapter 2. It's lifted by the free justification we have in Christ Jesus in chapter 3. Chapter 4, look at verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man, unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. That's from Psalm 32, right here in Romans 4. We come to Romans 5, and it says in verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So we have a second Adam to deliver us from the condemnation of the first Adam. We come to chapter 6 and we look at verse 23 again. It says the wages of sin is death. Then it concludes by saying, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the wages of sin are lifted and we're not paid what we deserved. We're not paid what we earned. We're paid what we never earned and what we never had an interest in. And that's eternal life by the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We come to chapter 7. Paul labors to help us understand that the law, while it's holy and just and good, left him a condemned sinner. And yet when he gets to the end and he asks the question, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He says in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is a deliverance. We are cursed beings. We are a cursed race. We are condemned. Every day we get closer to our condemnation when it's going to be formally declared. When death will seize these bodies and they will quit functioning. And then we'll stand before God. And then there's the great day of judgment. We are condemned. We need a Savior. And we need a glorious Savior. And Romans describes that glorious Savior. And we come to this first verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I hope I've taken enough time for you to see in chapters 1 through 7 the condemnation. And in chapters 1 through 7 the salvation that's that's there in all of those chapters on how that condemnation has been lifted through Jesus Christ. This message... That God sent His Son to die for sinful men who deserve to die themselves is the gospel. Very few in the world care enough about it to give it any time or attention. They are all wrapped up in the foolishness of their stupid little lives. And that applies to me as well as anyone. Because everything in your life added together and squared doesn't even approach the importance of what we're talking about and yet most people do not care at all it's foolishness to them and the Bible tells us that and I'm thankful the Bible tells us that whenever you see it being foolishness to someone and it not changing their lives they're reprobates there's nothing else to conclude about them they can't claim to be carnal Christians there's no evidence they're a Christian so how can you claim to be a carnal Christian Because look at what the second half of this verse says. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's the descriptive statement of those that are in Christ Jesus. Let's quickly remember, how do we get into Christ Jesus? It says here that there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. How do we get into Christ Jesus? We're chosen by God before the foundation of the world in Christ Jesus. 
In Ephesians chapter 1 it says, According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. That's how you get into Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us, God before the world began gave His purpose and grace and salvation to us in Christ Jesus. In 2 Timothy 1.9. You're, you're, you're close by. Look at, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's only a few pages over. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it tells us there's so many references that could be appealed to because we must ask the question and answer it. How do we get into Jesus Christ where there is, therefore, now no condemnation? How do we get in there? God chose us there. So we owe Him for that choice. He made a choice on our behalf for His glory. It results in our eternal preservation, salvation, and blessing. It was for the manifestation of His grace and glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30. That's why I said it was close by. 2 Corinthians isn't very close. You all knew that. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. It says, But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Do you need some wisdom in the sight of God? Some righteousness? Some redemption? Some sanctification? Where is it? It's in Christ Jesus. These are four of all the spiritual blessings that are in Christ. How do we get into Christ? It says in this verse, but of Him are ye in Christ Jesus. Who is the Him? It's the God of verses 28 and 29, where it says that no flesh should glory in His presence. God chose us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Once we were chosen in Him, then the Lord Jesus Christ went to work on our behalf. And this is our legal position in Jesus Christ. By God's choice, but Jesus Christ working for us. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21. You know what it says in 1 Corinthians 15? It says, for as in Adam, all die. For as in Adam. In Adam. How do you get in Adam? Do we have to make a choice to get into Adam? We were born in there. Were you asked if you wanted to be born? Conceived? For as in Adam, all die. That's the condemnation of chapter 5 of Romans. But it's also in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam, all die. The next next part of the verse is better. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Because he's the second Adam and he came to work for us in this world. God sent His Son, and He obeyed every commandment of God perfectly, and that righteousness is applied to our account. And then He died an innocent death, a wrongful, cruel death on the cross of Calvary, with our sins nailing Him there. We are twice righteous, because He's lived righteously for us and applied it to us, and He took all of our unrighteousness and washed them away with His blood. Second Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way, For He, speaking of God, hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, speaking of Him, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Amen. God chose us in Him, then Jesus Christ worked on our behalf in fulfilling His terms of the covenant. And then the Holy Spirit of God works in us a new man. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Many references could be raised. We just want to see a couple to remind ourselves because we must know how do we get into Christ? That's the most important question. We can see that there's no condemnation in Christ, but how do we get into Christ? The Bible tells us we're chosen in Him. The Bible tells us that in Him He labors and works for us. And then we're told the Spirit puts us in Christ and puts in us Christ. Not only are we put in Him, but He's put in us. It says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. God puts something inside of us so that we are in Christ vitally. We have a new vital principle inside of us called the new man that loves righteousness. It's the part of Paul that was so frustrated and irritated 
with his flesh in Romans chapter 7, if you read that last evening. But brethren, these are the works of God. God the Father chose us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Jesus Christ died for us. And the Holy Spirit regenerates us so that we're in Christ and united to Him in three different ways. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are quickened together with Christ and raised together with Christ to sit in heavenly places in a vital connection with our new man. Well, how do I know that God did those three things for me? How do I know that God chose me, Christ died for me, and the Spirit has regenerated me? Lay hold of Christ by faith. The first thing, the first commandment is to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and your only hope of salvation. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then to be baptized in His name and then to bring forth the fruits of righteousness, you can show yourself to be in Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Our faith, our baptism, our good works, they do not earn salvation for us. They do not obtain salvation for us. They prove that we have it. Galatians 3, verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We are baptized into Christ. It's a practical relationship we take upon ourselves. We take His name. We're baptized in a picture of His death and His resurrection. We're baptized in a picture of burying our old man to live a new life. We're baptized in a picture of the fact that if my body is buried, it will rise one day by the power of that Savior and the Spirit of God. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. We believe those words. We don't try to modify those words. We believe them. He that believeth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and believes the message that I just presented to you in brief and then is baptized, the first act of obedience upon that faith shall be saved. When he stands before God, he'll be delivered from that condemnation that he deserves. It is not the way, it is not the means of you saving yourself and getting yourself elected or getting yourself justified or getting yourself regenerated. It is the way that you prove those things to yourself and lay hold of eternal life in the day that's coming. And then there's a whole lot more that's added to that. And we know that, don't we? If you want to make your calling and election sure, the Bible says add to your faith. Add to your faith because faith isn't enough. Faith is what the devils have. If you want to make your calling and election sure, you've got to add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. If ye do these things, ye shall never fall. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's how we get into Jesus Christ and show ourselves in Him. There is, let's go back to Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. We got into Christ Jesus by God's electing grace, the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrificial death and life for us, and the Holy Spirit's regenerating power, and we have declared that by believing and being baptized in His name. And hopefully... We're bringing forth those fruits that he's called us to bring forth. Because that's what's in the next part of the verse. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. The character trait of those that are in Christ Jesus are they walk after the flesh. They have a lifestyle and they have a mindset of living according to the spirit of God rather than their flesh. That, that new man and old man has just been contrasted In Romans 7, back and forth, back and forth. Paul teaches us that the law of God doesn't work. And he raises the question that you would raise. Does that mean the law is bad? God forbid. The law is good, holy, and just. I'm bad. God gives me a law, I break it. That doesn't make the law bad, that makes me bad. And Paul goes on to describe these two warring parts of him. He has a flesh. He has members of his flesh 
that are bent on sinning. And he has a mind, which he uses for the new man, that is totally committed to righteousness. He cannot free himself completely from that flesh. And he hates it. And he's waiting for the day when he can be delivered from it. And he knows that Jesus Christ will deliver him from it. The character trait of those that are in Christ Jesus is that they have a lifestyle and a mindset of living according to the Spirit of God rather than according to the world. And we'll see that in the next few verses. Verse 2 is going to help explain what he means by walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you were to read Romans chapter 7, you would think that Paul was walking after the flesh and the Spirit. Paul walked after the Spirit. Paul lived in the Spirit and he walked in the Spirit. From time to time, he realized the sinfulness that was in his flesh. He knew in his flesh there wasn't a single good thing ever. But for the most part, I, Paul, serve the law of God with my mind. I keep the law of God. Now, what we're going to get in Romans chapter 8 is an explanation that we are able to do that. There is spiritual power inside every child of God to be able to walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. And it's by doing so that we know that we're the children of God. Because they that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. These two uses of the word law. The word law in in this verse means a certain rule. There is a rule of sin and death. Paul said he discovered it by the law of God. He said in verse 21 of Romans chapter 7, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. He says in verse 23, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. So he's describing this old flesh that we have, this old nature, the sinful old man that wants to sin, loves the flesh, loves the world. It is the flesh. It loves every sin that God's ever condemned. It's our old man. It's how depraved we are. That's what he means by the law of sin and death. That's at the end of verse 2. But the first half of verse 2 is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The certain rule. The law. He's playing on the word law. There's another law in us. The certain rule that the new man has the power by the Spirit of God through the purchase of Jesus Christ to live righteously. The, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. I am not under the total control of the law of sin and death. I have spiritual power purchased by Jesus Christ That gives me a vital principle of life in me to obey. Everyone can obey the Bible that's a child of God. Everyone should obey the Bible that's a child of God. The evidence that you are a child of God is that you obey the Bible. If you are not obeying the Bible, there isn't evidence you are a child of God. And don't tell me, I'll say it the second time, about being a carnal Christian. You have nothing to prove that you were ever a Christian. What is a disciple indeed? If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Romans 8, 31 and 32. When it says here in verse 1, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit, these are not conditions to get into Jesus Christ. Can't be. Can't be conditions to get into Jesus Christ. Or guess what eternal life is based on? Your righteousness. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. This is the character trait of those who are saved. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. That conflict that Paul described in chapter 7, it's not an impossible conflict. There is a certain rule of power from the Spirit of God, of life, in the child of God, that is able to deliver himself from that sin. Not fully. Not fully. But in a lifestyle and in a mindset. So we come to verse 3. For what the, and the explanation is going to be how Jesus Christ purchased this power for us. For what the law could not do. That's the law of God described in Romans 7 as utterly hopeless and helpless. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. 
God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Now those are a lot of words. But the Lord Jesus Christ had a body just like ours. The only thing about His body is there was no sin. But God gave Him a body so that He could come with a body and take our sins upon Him in a payment, a substitutionary penal payment on the cross of Calvary to pay for the sins of our body. So He came in flesh that was very much like ours except without sin. And He laid down that flesh to purchase deliverance from sin. And the point being made here is He has paid for our sins. We are dead to those sins and there's spiritual power in us to live righteously. That verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That fourth verse I do not believe is legal. I believe that fourth verse is practical. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us actively. Practically. Think about this verse as a cross-reference. Ephesians 2.10 For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. God has saved us through Jesus Christ that we would live a righteous life. That we would fulfill the law by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that's been given to us. And it's a law. Do you have a new man that loves righteousness and hates sin? That's what you got from being born again. If you've only been born one time, you've only got one nature. You think that I'm just blowing a lot of hot air and this is a boring service. If you've been born twice, you have a second nature that likes what you're hearing and wants to do it. And that second nature hates sin. And you go through a conflict of condemnation, accusing or else excusing yourself. As Paul, there's three people in Romans 7. Did you find all three of them when you were reading through it? There's I, Paul, and he calls himself I. He says he has a mind and he says he has members. And I, I love the things over here that my mind wants to do. And I hate the things over here that my flesh... Did you see him in that conflict? Where does he... You just got you just got to read it and see that I know that in me, he's talking about himself, the things that I would, I do not. I, the things that I would, I do not. Now, wait a minute. That sounds pretty mixed up. No, it's the conflict that every child of God knows about that our brother mentioned after our psalm and, and, and before a song. Verses 3 and 4 telling us that Jesus Christ died to pay for our sins and purchase us that spiritual power that gives us the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus to fulfill the righteousness of God's law. We can live a righteous life. But what I want to tell you right now is, and what, this, what Paul's point is, being freed from the condemnation that we all deserve can only be known by a righteous life. There's great things that are described in the, sec- the last two-thirds of this chapter. The glorious display of the sons of God to the whole universe. When you're going to be named as a son of God and presented to the universe as one of God's adopted sons. That neither height nor depth, death, angels, principalities, or powers can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. You know who that is for? Those who walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. Verse 5, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. It's going to tell us what it means to walk after the flesh or after the spirit. They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. This is pretty simple. It really, it's really pretty simple. Do you want to know whether you're after the flesh or the spirit? What do you think about and care about? They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They think and care about the things of the world. They think and care about their job. They think and care about their money, their yard, their cars, their love life, their relationships, their family, and all that stuff, which must be very subordinate to our love of Christ and spiritual things. That's why Jesus could say, if any man comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother and his brother and his sister and so forth, then he cannot be my disciple. The point he's making is the difference between the two is so great. What do you mind today? What's on your mind? Let me put it that way. What's on your mind? What's your mindset for the rest of today? 
What's your mindset for the rest of this week? Those who mind fleshly things, the world and its things, they're after the flesh. They're showing the evidence they have no eternal life. And there's some sitting in here. But I can't give you a spirit. And no man in here can give you a spirit. And you don't care about what I just said. Because the preaching of the gospel is a savour of life unto life in those that are saved. And it's the savour of death unto death in those that perish. The way you respond to hearing this, oh, I know the, the presentation of it's terrible. You've got to forgive the speaker. I'll put you up here and then I can sit and criticize you. I mean, we're both failures when it comes to presenting this message. The message of the gospel is glorious. But it's here. If you've got the Spirit of God in you, then you're lining up with these words because the Spirit in you is the Spirit that wrote these words. But if you don't care about these words, it's a sweet savour in the nostrils of God. Death unto death. Proof that you're dead. You need to be born again. And there's not a thing you can do about it. Oh, God is sovereign. He is the potter and we are the clay. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. If you're walking after the Spirit, guess what's on your mind? The things of the Spirit. You love the Word of God. You love the house of God. You love the people of God. You might even be able to squeeze a little bit of like for the man of God. You love everything about God. The weather you saw yesterday, all you could do was thank the God of heaven. The marriage you saw, you thank the God of heaven for the providence of bringing the two of them together. You mind spiritual things. You're thinking of heaven. You're thinking of righteousness. You love truth. You want more wisdom. That's, having, that's minding the things of the Spirit of God. For to be, verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be carnally minded, to have your mind set on the things out there, is death. It's death now because you're thinking about things that are totally vanity. Right. And it's death in a day to come because it's the evidence that you have eternal death coming. Can a Christian be in that first half of that verse 6? Yes. But you can't prove it to us that you're a Christian when you're in the first half of verse 6. We're looking from the outside with the light of the Holy Spirit. You can't tell us that. To be carnally minded is death. You know how the Bible puts it in 1 Timothy 5, 6? It talks about widows in the church. Who, the Bible says they are dead while they live. There's a death in this life by getting wrapped up in the things of this world. And so though they're physically alive, they're dead because they've lost their fellowship with God. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Oh, to be spiritually minded is life. Jesus said, I came... To give life and to give it more abundantly. That you might have it and you might have it more abundantly. And there's life and peace coming in heaven for the person that is spiritually minded and thinks about the Spirit of God. They have it now and they have more later. Godliness is profitable unto all things. Having promise of the life that now is. So there's life and peace now and life and peace later. Win-win. Now then. Present future. It's wonderful to be spiritually minded. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. These verses here, we often refer to them to try to improving the depravity of man. But these two verses right here in this context are reminding us that to be carnally minded and be thinking about the world is to place ourselves at the enmity of the God of heaven. If you're a friend of the world, according to James 4.4, you are the enemy of God. We do not want to let Romans 8, 7, and 8 simply be two verses that we quote to prove the depravity of man. We want Romans 8, 7, and 8 to also describe a part of us that we do not want to live under. And we have been freed from that part. We've been freed from that part by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that is mentioned in verse 2, purchased for us by Jesus Christ's death for us, in verses 3 and 4. It's true verses 7 and 8 describe reprobates. It describes those who haven't been born twice. If you've only been born one time by your parents, then verses 7 and 8 describe you. If you've been born twice, that means born again by the Spirit of God, 
Then verse 6 describes you in the second half. You are able to be spiritually minded. Verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. You're not in the flesh. Now, wait a minute. Are we in the flesh today? Yet we are in the flesh. We still have our flesh. But are we living in the flesh under its control if the Spirit of God is in us? No. If the Spirit of God is in you, you are not bound up, controlled by, or under the total influence and dominion of the flesh. And that's what that verse is saying. We are not in the flesh the way that a natural man is in verses 7 and 8. We've been delivered from being in it the way they are, that they cannot please God. We can please God because the Spirit of God dwelleth in us. And if any man doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. He's not elect, he's reprobate. Romans 8, 9. We are still in the flesh in a physical sense, and we're still in the flesh in a sinful sense because we still have those fleshly members attached to us. But we're not under their domination. We've been freed from them. Verse 10, and if Christ be in you, isn't, if Christ be in you, if Christ be in you, is that possible? Can Jesus Christ be in us? I thought we needed to be in Him. We need both. And both are true. And both are wonderful. If we're in Him, vitally, He's also in us by His Spirit. Verse 9, said that it was His Spirit that dwells within us. But verse 10, it tells us that it's Christ. But didn't Jesus, when He was on earth, say that those that believe Me and obey Me, My Father and I will come and make our abode with Him? Jesus Christ dwells in us. And there's the power, the purchased power of His death that can give us the power over the flesh. So that we are not in it the way a natural man is in it. Because that's all He's got. We've been freed from that dominion. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. The Lord Jesus Christ has defeated it already. That doesn't mean it doesn't rear its ugly head from time to time and pull us away. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. We can live a righteous life by the power of the life that is in us, by the Spirit of God. He's going to jump to a new point, verse 11. But, he's just mentioned a body being dead. Your body isn't dead yet, though it's on its way. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. If Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, dwells in us, verse 11 is introducing a new benefit. We're going to have our bodies raised up incorruptible one day and restored in heaven without any sin in them at all. Because the sin has been destroyed by Jesus Christ. He's going to let these bodies die and then resurrect them and restore them and glorify them. And so he's appealing to another benefit that Jesus Christ purchased for us and the Spirit will do for us in that he will raise up our bodies the very same way he raised up Jesus Christ's body. Therefore, brethren... Verse 12, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. We are debtors. How are we debtors? First, Jesus died to make us righteous. Verses 3 and 4, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Jesus Christ paid a price, so we're debtors because God sent his own son to die for us. The second Payment that's been made for us is that the Spirit, verse 9, gives us the power to live above the flesh. Ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. God has given us the Spirit of God to live above the flesh. It is the rule of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Third, the Spirit is going to glorify our bodies, according to verse 11. So based on those things that have been covered in verses 1 through 11, Paul says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors. You are in debt if you're a child of God. If you're not a child of God, you don't care and I don't care. But if you're a child of God, we're in debt. We owe Him all that we have. Jesus died for us. 
The Spirit's given us power over sin, and the Spirit is going to raise up our bodies incorruptible and take us to heaven in a day that's coming soon. Therefore we are debtors, brethren, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. A man that lives after the flesh is going to die in the future, and he's dead in the present, as we've learned in this chapter. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now maybe that's the plainest statement you've seen so far. That is the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The power by the Spirit of God, purchased by Jesus, that you can mortify the deeds of the body. And if you do that, you shall live, because this is the evidence of those that are God's elect and shall be in heaven. If ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. That is the simple general rule. If this world gets you all excited, and that's what you spend your time and effort on, you're dying. Eternally, you're already dead presently, because you're wasting your life on such little soap bubbles. But, in total contrast to that, if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body... Ye shall live. That's the evidence of eternal life. I am so sick of those that say all you've got to do is make a decision for Jesus and you're going to live forever. Where's that in the Bible? Show me that little decision in the Bible. When I get here, it says those are going to live who through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body. That is a righteous life by the power of the Holy Ghost. It is not a conformed outward life by the power of the flesh. This is by the power of the Spirit of God to do those things the Bible teaches. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Is the Spirit of God leading your life? How does the Spirit of God lead your life? He gives you the power inside you to mortify. That means to put to death the things of the flesh and the things of this world. By the grace of God, we have heard the joyful sound. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Hear me, brethren. Let us lay hold of that freedom from condemnation today. Every one of you, if there is within you a belief of what I've said, an understanding of what I've said, Lay hold of that freedom from condemnation by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Confessing your sins. Getting baptized if you're not baptized. And choosing by the power of the Spirit of God to follow the leading of the Spirit of God as it's recorded in His Word. That is eternal life. Amen. And anything short of that is, can be no claim to eternal life. Don't tell me about being a carnal Christian. Because if you're trying to justify yourself being a carnal Christian, you can't justify you were ever a Christian. Because it's continuing in these things. It's the proof of eternal life. Brethren, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the only hope of deliverance from death and God's judgment for you, if you believe that the things that the Word of God writes are true and righteous altogether, and you should keep them in your life. And if you, by the power of the Spirit of God, do indeed set them as a way of life for you, you can know you're a child of God. If you come short of that definition, you cannot prove that you are a child of God. The devils believe and tremble. Many have been baptized that were false professors. But none have ever lived by the power of the Spirit of God a righteous life that are ever turned away at the doors of heaven. Brethren, I know this is not a simple, this is not a simple gospel in this sense, or a cheap gospel, because it requires of us a life of righteousness every day by the power of the Spirit of God. But there is a law that is in you that if you will use that law by humbling yourself, And begging God to help you, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made us free from the law of sin and death. That law of sin and death that Paul knew was in him 
in chapter 7 does not have to control you. Jesus Christ has earned deliverance for you. Salvation is proven by our righteousness, but God himself provides the power to live that righteous life. He is all in all. Salvation is of the Lord. Humble yourself before him. And let's go out of here today. And let's go into our break believing that we are debtors, not to the flesh, but to the spirit to mortify the deeds of the flesh. God's chosen us. Christ died for us. The spirit's been given to us. Christ dwells in us. And he's going to yet quicken our mortal bodies. We owe him everything we have. Does it sound like a fair trade to you? It sounds cheap. It sounds like a reasonable service to give him our lives. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.